This is the Africa service of Vatican Radio. Welcome to our half-hour daily program for Africa. In today's program, you can hear our feature, Family. First, however, our bulletin of church news. I am Festus Tarawali. Pope Francis on Sunday morning elevated to sainthood, Argentinian-born Maria Antonia of St. Joseph de Pazio Figueroa, in Holy Mass in St. Peter's Basilica, Mama Antula, as a new saint is fondly known, was an 18th century consecrated laywoman who ministered to the poor and helped keep Jesuit spirituality alive in Argentina after the religious order was suppressed. In his homily, the Pope reflected on leprosy and marginalization, taking his cue from the passage of Jesus' healing of a leper. The Holy Father praised the new saint as a model of charity and urged the faithful to really touch the wounds of the poor, just as Jesus overcame fear and prejudice to touch the wounds of lepers. Joseph Tullock has this report. Maria Antonia de San Jose, known in her own country and by millions of faithful around the world as Mama Antola, lived in Argentina in the 18th century. At that time, the Jesuit order had been expelled from Argentina, and Maria Antonia, a laywoman, made it her mission to spread Ignatian, that is Jesuit, spirituality throughout the country. During his homily at the canonization mass earlier today, Pope Francis laid to one side his prepared remarks and spoke off the cuff. Today, we think of Maria Antonia de San Jose, Mama Antula. She was a wayfarer of the Spirit. She traveled thousands of kilometers on foot, crossing deserts and taking dangerous roads, bringing God always with her. Today, she is a model of apostolic fervor and audacity for us. When the Jesuits were expelled from Argentina, the Spirit lit a missionary flame in her based on trust in providence and perseverance. Let us pray today to Maria Antonia that she may help us very much. The litany of all saints rang out solemnly under Michelangelo's dome. Then the Pope spoke the canonization formula. Beatam Mariam Antoniam a Santo Joseph de Paz y Figueroa, Santam esse de Cernimus e de Finimus. A deacon consecrated the relics of Mama Antola, and the gospel was recited in Greek as is customary on particularly solemn occasions. Argentinian President Javier Millet, who has been in Rome since Saturday, was also present in the Basilica and will meet privately with Pope Francis tomorrow in the Vatican. I'm Joseph Tollock. At the noon Angelos in St. Peter's Choir, on the day the church marks the 32nd World Day of the Sikh, the Pope once again based his reflection on the Gospel passage that recounts Jesus' healing of a leper. He went on to invite the faithful to reach out to the suffering, reminding them that Jesus' style with those who suffer is few words and concrete actions. Lisa Zengarini reports. 
Addressing the pilgrims in St. Peter's Square at the Angelus, Pope Francis remembered that today's gospel on the healing of the leper offers us an example of Jesus' style with those who suffer, few words and concrete actions. The Pope recalled that we see Jesus behave like this several other times in the Gospel when he heals the deaf and dumb, the paralyzed and many other needy people. He always does this, he speaks little and promptly follows his words with action, said the Pope. But Francis went on to note that we can meet his wonderful way of loving also in some people we encounter in our lives, generous in action, reluctant to show off, but ready to be helpful, friends to whom we can ask for help. This concreteness, the Pope remarked, is even more important today in a world where an evanescent virtuality of relationships seem to be increasingly prevalent. Love cannot be reduced to nice words, images on a screen, selfies or hasty messages, the Pope said. These may be useful tools, but they are not enough for love. They cannot replace concrete presence. Pope Francis therefore invited the faithful to ask themselves if they are able to listen to people and make themselves available to meet their needs, or instead make excuses and hide behind abstract and useless words. I am Lisa Zengarini. Si celebra oggi, nella memoria della Beata Vergine di Lourdes, la giornata mondiale del malato. In remarks after reciting the Marian prayer, the Pope recalled that 11th February is a memorial of the Blessed Virgin of Lourdes and that we celebrate the World Day of the Sick on this day, which he said this year draws attention to the importance of relationships in illness. In this regard, the Pope noted that the first thing that we need when we are sick is the closeness of loved ones as well as that of health workers and of God. We are all called to be close to those who suffer, stressed the Pope, expressing his closeness and that of the whole church to those who are sick or frail. Pope Francis then went on to highlight that it is not possible to keep silent as this day is celebrated about the fact that there are so many people today who are denied the right to care and therefore the right to life. Penso a quanti vivono in povertà estrema, ma penso anche ai territori di guerra. He said, I'm thinking of those who live in extreme poverty, but I'm also thinking of those who live in war zones. Fundamental human rights are violated there every day. It is intolerable, he said. He then went on to ask for prayers for war-torn Ukraine, for Palestine and Israel, and also for Myanmar and for all peoples who are tormented by war. For the World Day of the Sick 2024, Pope Francis chose the theme, It is not good that man should be alone. Healing the sick by healing relationships. In his message for the day released recently, the Holy Father calls for a therapeutic covenant between people who are ill and their caregivers, family members and God. Devin Watkins has that report. Drawing on God's words about Adam in the biblical book of Genesis, Pope Francis notes that God's first thought for the first man was that he should be in communion and relationship with other beings. Our lives are meant to attain fulfillment through a network of relationships, friendships, and love, says the Pope. We were created to be together, not alone. This relational aspect of humanity, he adds, retains its importance even in moments of vulnerability, illness, and insecurity, which are often caused by the onset of a serious illness. 
In response to our throwaway cultures that exalt productivity, the Holy Father calls for health care systems to be accompanied by a therapeutic covenant between physicians, patients, and family members. Human sin, says the Pope, wounds us by severing our relationships and causing us to miss the meaning of our lives. The Pope therefore invites everyone to offer compassionate and loving closeness to those who are ill. To care for the sick, he says, thus means to care for their relationships, all of them, with God, with others, family members, friends, healthcare workers, and with creation and themselves. Each of us, says the Pope, came into the world because our parents welcomed us, and we were each made for love and are called to communion and fraternity. The best therapy for those who are ill, he adds, is to offer them our love and communion despite the pace of our own frenetic lives. He urges people who are ill not to feel ashamed of their longing for tenderness and never to feel like a burden on others. In conclusion, Pope Francis invites Christians to draw inspiration from Jesus' compassion-filled gaze through prayer and the Eucharist so as to heal the wounds of solitude and isolation. This Sunday, the 11th of February, also marks the 95th anniversary of the signing of the Lateran Treaty through which Vatican City State came into existence. The treaty and associated pacts were named after the Lateran Palace where they were signed on the 11th of February 1929 between the Holy See and the then Kingdom of Italy. The pacts recognized Vatican City as an independent state under the sovereignty of the Holy See. The Catholic Secretariat of Nigeria has called on all Nigerians to have a rethink on their sense of nationhood. The call was made during a meeting with members of the media at the Secretariat's headquarters in Durumi in Abuja. Delphine Asu has this report. The press briefing was handled by the Deputy Secretary General of the Catholic Secretariat of Nigeria, Very Reverend Father Michael Banjo, on behalf of the Secretary General, Very Reverend Father Zakaria Samjumi. It highlighted the factors affecting the unity of the nation, as well as re-emphasizing the position of the Catholic bishops on the debilitating challenges in the nation. We are not one. There are obvious ethnic religious, regional, and north and south barriers. Many people are pigeonholed into either Hausa, Igbo, or Yoruba, and yet they do not feel belonging to any. The nation must listen to those stories. There are palpable feelings of marginalization. We need to listen to how it feels to be marginalized. What colonial mentalities have not been thrown away? What religious mentality have we inherited and are still clinging to? There are different agendas and mentalities for northerners and southerners. The government must prioritize our working together despite our individual and cultural peculiarities. To achieve our goal of being one indivisible nation, the Catholic bishops as good shepherds have, in an unambiguous term, condemned the incessant killings in the land and the injustices that pervade the land. The Catholic Bishops' Conference of Nigeria has not lost consciousness of pastoral charity, and neither has it behaved as judges who only deny, reject, and exclude, but has remained at the forefront of charity and humanitarian services to society. The press briefing also intimated the reporters on the coming events of the church in Nigeria. We use this opportunity to announce the first plenary assembly of the Catholic Bishops' Conference of Nigeria, CBCN, from 16 to 23 February 2024, with the theme, 
Synod on Synodality, Areas of Concern for the Church in Nigeria. We also use this medium to announce the start of the celebration of our Communications Week. It will commence from 5 to 12 May 2024. The Catholic Bishops' Conference of Nigeria will celebrate the week-long event with a media literacy program from the grassroots to the national level. In Abuja, Nigeria, Delphine Asu reporting. The Catholic Church in Rwanda on Saturday began a two-year journey of preparation in view of the jubilee of the 125th anniversary of the evangelization of the Central African nation to be marked in 2025. The opening ceremony of the period of preparation took place at Kapgai, the first diocese of Rwanda. In attendance were the Archbishop of Kigali, Cardinal Antoine Kambanda, Apostolic Nuncio in Rwanda, Archbishop Arnaldo Catalan, and the bishops and delegations from all the nine dioceses of Rwanda. Neighboring Burundi, on the Feast of the Assumption on the 15th of August last year, concluded the celebrations of its 125th anniversary of evangelization during Holy Mass presided over by Cardinal Kambanda in the Archdiocese of Jitega in Burundi. You're tuned to the Africa service of Vatican Radio. And now our feature, Family. Church in Africa as a family of God. Its people, challenges, values and hopes. My name is Father Paul Samasumo with your program Family. Pope Francis visited South Sudan on 3rd February 2023. It was his first trip to this world's youngest yet troubled country, troubled by conflict and war. The visit was dubbed a pilgrimage of peace in South Sudan, a country that has been and to some extent is still suffering the results of civil war, although things have been improving. Vatican Radio Vatican News John Baptist Tumsime Cover the Pope's historical visit to Juba, and I'm privileged to have him today in the studio as we look back on that historical visit. John, in these few weeks of February, the first week especially, we are remembering Pope Francis's visit. What were some of your impressions then, and perhaps some of your lasting impressions today? Now, this was my second time to visit Juba. I had been there in 2005 when the comprehensive peace agreement was signed between uh, the SPLM and government of uh, Sudan at that time, read by Omar al-Bashir. The situation was different at that time because uh, insecurity was still high and uh, there were not many people in uh, saturation. People were still hiding uh, outside the city. I mean, the town, it was not even a city at that time. It was some small trading center, but that had been had been attacked a number of times. You could even see bullet holes in some of the buildings. But uh, last year when I went, the situation was uh, different, and uh, the city now was uh, even overpopulated. So many people, a sign a sign that something had changed, that at least there was some relative peace uh, in the city. But um, 
some of the impressions that I got was um, that uh, people expected that Pope Francis would at least have an impression on the situation, not only in Juba, but all over the country. And uh, their expectations were based on two things. The first expectation was based on faith. We know this is a man of God, and his presence here is going to change hearts, at least of those who were behind uh, the fighting that has had been taking place in the country. People had that longing for peace, but they felt that actually, on their own, they cannot bring peace. There is a need also for the intervention of God, and the Pope was seen as a messenger. Then the second thing that I saw was that they believed that Pope Francis was a key figure in mobilizing not only the people themselves, but also their own leaders to understand that they need peace to go on and they need to coexist if they are going to live uh, to develop their country. So these are some of the memories that actually remain in me. I made a number of interviews there, and these issues kept coming. God should help us. And those who are fighting should see the Pope as a messenger of God who is coming here to tell us about what we know, but what we have not been able to put into practice. One of the major concerns was the issue of security, and uh, some people even went as far as saying this was unwise for the Pope to go into such an area. What, were, what, 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 what was the situation like in terms of security from your own point of view? Juba as Juba was secure when we were there, and this security was provided by the government of South Sudan. And from the information I got when I was there was that he the different groups that were in government, because each of them had its own Militia. militias, and they agreed that there was a need for peace in there for security in the in in Juba, so that this international event that was involving three. Uh, prominent religious leaders in the world, the Pope, then the Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury, who is also the head of the Anglican Communion, and the, the then Moderator General of the Church of Scotland, we are coming there, specifically with the mission to preach peace. Now, uh, the groups agreed on that. There was no problem with the insecurity, uh, I mean with problem related to security. And uh, they also, they declared, the government declared uh, where nobody, nobody would be working so that only those who were concerned, for example, like us who were covering uh, the visits, the, the, the visit of the Pope, would be able to move, at least to remove, to remove traffic from the roads and also to reduce the risks of insecurity, someone who wants to cause a chaos who be, be, may be hiding in the population and then cause insecurity. But security was there. 
So you never felt threatened at any moment no, no, we personally? Never, no, no. You could cover freely? We covered it freely and we had all the respect of the state. Actually, when we arrived at the airport and we, we introduced ourselves, we showed our documents, we were treated like diplomats. You have alluded to the fact that the Pope was accompanied to South Sudan by the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, Justin Welby, who is the leader of the Anglican community, and Ian Greensfield, uh, the moderator of the, the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland. They are going with the Pope. What was the significance of that? Now, this the decision of the three religious leaders to visit the country at the same time was based on the fact that South Sudan um, has three main churches. The first and the biggest church there is the Catholic Church. And then the second biggest church is the church is the Anglican Church, and then the uh, the Church of Scotland, the Church of the Church of Scotland. Some of the leaders of the opposition who have been involved in the in the fight that has been taking place, Anglicans. Okay. Others belong to the Church of Scotland. Okay. And then, like the president and the many of his members of his group. They are Catholics. So there was this feeling that if these three religious leaders would come, and they also they have respect. Uh, these people have been involved in fighting in South Sudan, have respect for these religious leaders. And actually before that, the Holy See here had organized a meeting which was attended by these, uh, by the fighting, the leaders of the fighting factions then in South Sudan to attend a meeting here where they would talk peace and see how they could resolve their own political and military differences and how they could also implement some of the agreements they had signed which had not yet been implemented. That was, that created the ground. Now that meeting which was organized in the Vatican here was also attended by the Anglican Archbishop of of Canterbury. So this was a kind of a follow-up. Yes. And also to show to the population now that these things, these, these matters, were not only decided in Rome, but we are following them up here on the, on the ground. That was the significance. The most important thing is that church leaders are not only just there to preach, to preach about God, but they should also bring into practice what they are preaching. If you preach peace, it doesn't remain something um, theoretical. It must also be practical. Now, the people themselves, the South East Sudanese now, have a role to play themselves in promoting peace. Not only peace at the higher levels, like now the, the fighting factions would, uh, would, were expected, but beginning from the background, because many times they are the ones who are being used by the politicians and by the head, by the leaders of the fighting factions to cause insecurity in their own country, to fight among themselves at the grassroots. Could we say there has been some benefit from this visit? Uh, it was a historical visit, but... Is it possible to to quantify, to point at something that has moved? Yes. I spoke to the Apostolic Nuncio um, sometime uh, late last year, and uh, this year I also spoke to the head of the consulate in South East Sudan, 
who represents the Holy See there. What one thing they told me in common is that uh, all that rhetoric, that uh, war rhetoric that uh, used to take place, that one has now subsided. Two, they have managed now to implement a number of decisions that had been made in the past that had been left unimplemented uh, and then also trying as much as possible to empty to empty the camps in which displaced people people who had been displaced by the fighting between the factions that are now in government to return to their home villages and in those camps in South Sudan, you found a lot of uh, Vatican radio listeners? I was also very much surprised to find so many listeners. But then when I reflected ab ab about it, I discovered that it is in such moments of suffering that now people feel that they really need God. Vatican radio, I found that there are clubs there of listeners in different dioceses. And in the camp also, I found people who are following our program every day. They get it from the, the local Catholic radio stations who rebroadcast the program, and also from Radio Maria from neighboring countries, because Radio Maria, some of its signals go beyond the, the borders. Um, the explanation I got from them when I asked why do they listen to Vatican Radio, they told me because they want to get that message of hope from the Pope, that the Pope encourages them to live, the Pope encourages them to find meaning in life. They can. They also others facing them. But if others have managed to overcome these challenges, they too have the potential to overcome these challenges if the will is there. A big thank you to our diocese and radio partners who retransmit our programs, the Sudanese uh, Catholic Radio Network, and also Radio Maria. But one one question before you go. You did mention that when you first went there, Juba was just like a small trading area, but this time it was a big city, um, and yet the media, the international media, were speaking about the lack of basic facilities, basic infrastructure. Was that a big problem while you were there? Uh, the second time, because based from the, the previous experience of 2005, there was a lot of improvement. They have not yet come out of free. They were still there. At least some elements of war were still there. But uh, life was going on. Uh, Mr. John Baptist Tumusim, I'd like to thank you for uh, your sharing um, one year later after Pope Francis was in Juba. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Vatican Radio's John Baptist Tumusime on Family Today. You have been listening to Family with Father Paul Samasumo. You are tuned to the Africa service of Vatican Radio. In our next program at the same time tomorrow, you can hear our feature, the African Synod, The Church Alive in Africa Today. I am Festus Tarawali and do join us then. Praised be Jesus Christ. Laudetur Jesus Christus.